If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time. Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One. For the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down you may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings, that frustrating thing your mum does, or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest, whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time? Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One. For the love of driving. 
Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. First of all, I think the supernatural will never release its hold on us. So the idea that there could be witchcraft or that there could be purported witchcraft is of, you know, eternal interest. If anything Salem tells you, it's, it's about the intensity of the fear of witches. You know, anything that went wrong in your life could potentially be attributable to witchcraft. That the devil was a kind of alluring, dangerous bad boy, if I can put it that way. They go dumb, they fall into trances, they shudder and they spin. I mean, it's very dramatic. Family members will often accuse each other. And it seems like a basic human thing that sometimes we do turn against those who are closest to us. If the community comes down on somebody, it's not so much because they're magical or because they're charismatic or they're intelligent. It's because they don't fit in. They're the neighbours from hell. They're the people who curse. They're the people who are ill-tempered. They're the people who seem malevolent. There isn't a a lovely one-size-fits-all for witches. You know, this person is a witch because they're difficult. Yes, some of them are, but then on the other hand, this person is a witch because they're lovely. (laughs) How does that work? You have this moral wipeout in the midst of a pious, rational society. It's not madness. This isn't insanity. It makes absolute cold, clear sense. Their reputations and their very lives and livelihoods are injured, are smeared by slander and innuendo and false accusations. People who confessed to doing something of which we now know they were plainly innocent were spared, and those who were honourable enough to insist they are innocent were put to death, which is a very unusual and incredibly poignant situation. Welcome to Salem, Investigating the Witch Trials. Brought to you by History Extra, I'm Ellie Cawthorn. This is episode one. On the 22nd of September, 1692, outside the small Massachusetts settlement of Salem Village, eight figures approached the gallows. One of them was Martha Corey. The accusations that had led Martha to the gallows that day had been issued by a group of young village girls. Martha's spirit had separated from her body to terrorise them, they claimed. She had choked and blinded a 12-year-old girl without touching her, and a yellow bird was seen sucking between her fingers, surely a witch's familiar. Nine people were scheduled to hang that day in September, but one, Dorcas Hall, remained behind in her cell. By confessing to witchcraft, she had granted herself a stay of execution but Martha Corey would issue no such confession. As she approached the gallows, she most likely thought of the others who'd been killed before her. They included her own husband Giles, pressed to death under stone weights after refusing to enter a plea in the witchcraft courts. But despite knowing what awaited her, Martha maintained her innocence till the last, whispering a prayer in her final moments after the noose had been slipped around her neck. Martha followed 18 of us to the gallows that year, while up to 200 more were accused of witchcraft, creating deep rifts between neighbours and even family members. So how did all of this happen? That's the question we'll be grappling with in this series. I'll be talking to a panel of experts to delve into the factors that may have contributed to the Salem Witch Trials of 1692. From religious fervour and the ardent belief in the supernatural 
to the position of women in society and paranoia about threats to the community, both from the raging wilderness outside and from enemies within. What happened in Salem that year is often spoke about as a craze, an outbreak of irrational hysteria. And while that may be a seductive explanation, it's too neat a dismissal. In this series, we'll look at the historical background behind what happened in 1692 to try and help to understand seemingly unexplainable events. But before we do, we need to ask, what makes Salem such a fascinating case? Why are we still talking about it more than 300 years later? This is something that I asked Stacey Schiff, a Pulitzer Prize winning writer and the author of The Witches, Salem 1692, A History. And I think the idea that you have this moral wipeout in the midst of a pious, rational society um, is pretty compelling. The fact that this could have happened as late as it happened um, on American shores at a time when you thought your neighbor was a fine church-going, upstanding, decent individual um, is all the more compelling. Kathleen Brown is a historian of gender and race in early America at the University of Pennsylvania. As she highlighted, the Salem case touches on issues that still resonate with us today. So Salem, and especially Salem witchcraft, are often invoked in the United States, even to the present day, um, to talk about um, a kind of runaway lack of legality, lack of process, where people... Um, their reputations and their very lives and livelihoods are injured, are smeared by slander and innuendo and false accusations. It's a bad example of when um, people are not restrained by law or by morality or by common sense and kind of um, allow the momentum of accusing and scapegoating people to get out of control. Salem was not the only witch trial in colonial America, and it was far less deadly than several of the witch trials in Europe that had preceded it. So why is it Salem in particular that has become a pop culture staple? Ronald Hutton is a historian of witchcraft and the author of The Witch, A History of Fear from Ancient Times to the Present. And he highlighted a couple of reasons why Salem has proven particularly memorable. Salem has some characteristics in itself which make it a playwright or a TV screenwriter or a movie maker's dream. The first is it's in a relatively small community, very well recorded, with extremely colourful, highly marked characters, uh, plausible heroines and heroes, plausible villains, and people in between, neither good nor bad. Another thing is that uh, it's so superbly well recorded that it's a perfect soap opera. Uh, and finally, it's rather unusual in that people who confessed to doing something of which we now know they were plainly innocent were spared, and those who were honourable enough to insist they are innocent were put to death, which is a very unusual and incredibly poignant situation. Historian Owen Davies, whose books include America Bewitched, The Story of Witchcraft After Salem, suggests some other reasons why Salem continues to captivate us. And I think it's the ways in which what are essentially mundane sets of beliefs and fears and concerns 
in terms of witchcraft, which then get elevated into completely new spheres of politics and religion in a small community. And how that plays out, um, I think, is is really interesting and unusual. But at the base of it, there are neighbours making accusations against each other. In other words, you know, the evidence is coming from people who are suspecting someone in their community who's doing wrong. And when they come and give their testimony uh, before the courts, you find very similar patterns of storytelling. What happens after the ways in which religious authority or political authorities then uh, use it or escalate it or pervert it in some senses, then that's what takes it in a whole new direction and very distinct to the religious political context in which the trials take place. Before we begin looking into the reasons for all of this in more depth, it's worth recognising that most of you listening will probably have heard of Salem. In fact, you probably have an image in your mind already. The plain Puritan smocks, a dark courtroom, gallows on the hill. Because Salem has become a staple of US history. Owen Davies. It's one of those events like the revolution that pretty much every American school kid is going to learn at some point. It doesn't matter what depth it's in, sometimes very shallow, but Salem... Um, becomes part of the national identity in a sense. It's seen as marking a kind of a break from the early modern period, a break from the old times. As soon as as soon as people start regretting what happened at Salem, which was only you know, a couple of decades after, it's kind of that's the past. That's the past. We need to get away from that. Those were dark days. Let's move on. This is a new enlightened America. And this place in the pantheon of US history has even seen the village itself, now the Massachusetts town Danvers, become a tourist spot. Visitors to Salem Town can visit the Salem Witch Museum and get their hands on a witchy fridge magnet or a key ring bearing the names of the victims. It's become a, a place of uh, neo-pagan Wiccan identity as well. So it's become very complex. Uh, some of them claim some sort of sort of emotional attachment to the place because of what happened to, you know, people who, called, who were called witches in the past, then, then the mix is really, in a sense, quite complex. Part of the reason why people are still drawn to Salem may be because it's a story that was never left to lie. In fact, people have returned to it again and again over the years. Stacey Schiff. And you know, it's in American culture become so resonant in so many ways that it keeps coming back because of the later resonances, because we have the crucible, because we have Hawthorne. Um, it just, it, it recurs over and over and it gathers momentum with each retelling. And many of these retellings will be familiar. Professor of Renaissance and Magical Literatures, Marion Gibson, told me more. It gets reinvented in modern culture. So Salem turns up everywhere. You know, if you watch an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or American Horror Story, Salem will turn up in it somewhere. So what does Buffy the Vampire Slayer or American Horror Story have to do with what really happened back in 1692, I hear you say? Well, I think it's important to acknowledge these pop culture references because that's probably where most of us first encountered Salem. Perhaps through a school lesson, maybe The Crucible, or maybe even Sabrina the Teenage Witch. These representations inevitably shape the popular perceptions of Salem. But as Marion told me, if we get too caught up in modern reinterpretations, we can lose sight of the real trials. In our eagerness to use Salem as a neat analogy for current issues, 
could we be overlooking some of the specific historical conditions that led to the trials of 1692? We often look for political significance as well. So, so we start thinking, oh, well, this is all about persecution, isn't it? You, you can fit any model of persecution, any group of persecuted people onto witches and say, oh, well, you know, persecution is a terrible thing. And of course, it is a terrible thing. But witchcraft is a strange phenomenon in that it doesn't exist in the same way that something like communism or race or gender does. And those kind of groups are often the ones that people align with witches. So, you know, in Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible, he says, oh, communists are just like witches, aren't they? Um, They're being persecuted in America in the 1950s. I'm going to write a play about the Salem witches to show how the communists are being persecuted. But the analogy doesn't quite work because, yeah, there really are communists. But as far as we know, there really aren't witches. So I think thinking about Salem through contemporary preoccupations can be a bit less help than we'd hope, really. If you if you look it up in, in any public domain website, you'll find a myth about Salem. And I think it's really interesting. It seems like such a well-known history, but actually it's mostly mythic history. Lots of people don't know the truth as far as we know it about the Salem case. In this series, we'll try to get past all of those modern myths to get a better sense of the time and place of Salem and to consider how the conditions specific to New England in 1692 could have led to 19 people being hanged for supernatural acts. To understand why events unfolded the way they did, we first need to get to grips with how exactly they unfolded. So next episode, we'll be running through a timeline of the events, explaining how the strange behaviour of some young girls escalated into a paranoid hunt for witches that tore a community apart. Salem Investigating the Witch Trials is made by the team behind BBC History Magazine and the History Extra podcast. It's written, researched and presented by me, Ellie Cawthorn, and produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley. Fact-checking is by Josette Reeves. BBC History Magazine editor is Rob Attar and our content director is Dave Musgrove. For more history podcasts on a variety of subjects, head to historyextra.com forward slash podcast.